KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, October. I still haven't changed the date on this. October something. Seventh. Seventh. Thank you, Marissa. 2018, I'm your host, Hertzy Hertz, and I'm in studio with Maddie Love and Marissa Alexa McCool. This is an open conversation, and we welcome and encourage listener interaction with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, tweet us at at Atheist Talk, or check out our Facebook page, Atheist Talk. The phone number is only available when we're live, but you can always email, tweet, or comment whether we're live or you're listening to the podcast. Marissa has been a guest on the show now for quite a few times. She's written several books, hosts at least two podcasts, helps produce at least one or two more, um, and you have a new book on the way, correct? Yes, I do. It was kind of uh, unplanned. Oh, yes. Now, I I do have to laugh because there are people who say that I am busy when I tell them my schedule. And again, I laugh because I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I am lazy in comparison. (laughs) Um, But Maddie, Marissa, welcome. Good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk. So, Marissa, tell us about this new book. So I essentially just started writing my experience of uh, going through uh, gender confirmation surgery, which I'm about... 24 days out from. And by the time that I started even getting to the surgery itself, I already had like 20 pages. And when I do that, I tend to turn it into a book because that's just who I am as a person. And I had been working on another book and I I had hit a roadblock with it. And I'm not sure if I'm going to continue with that one or just put the essays that I've written as postscript for this one. So this one is a lot more personal than the other ones I've written. And it's basically just what it was like to go through this process because there isn't very much literature on it. No, there's really not. Um, and I have to I have to say, like reading the, the parts that you've sent us was absolutely fascinating. It was great to get a, a look because I think I've read another book of yours that I was able, you know, give glimpses into your personal life, like um, work, like your relationship with Devin and Aiden and such, and it's just always fascinating to he- to see more of that. Yeah, since I've come out, I've been very uh, transparent about everything that I've gone through, both the positive and negative aspects of it, because once again, there, there's not a lot of representation, and the representation we do have uh, is not always accessible, and it's usually uh, impersonal, indirect, or just overly medical, which is the problem I found, because I was trying to look up experiences of people who have gone through the surgery, and I could find you know places that listed how often you had to dilate, how often whatever, you know, the schedules and everything, but I couldn't find a lot of personal experiences. So I feel I feel like if if I was going to go through all that radical vulnerability up until that point and then stop it, it would just be disingenuous to who I've tried to be as a writer, activist, etc. Yeah. Um, and so I was going to say, can we get into some of the medical pieces of this? Yeah, because you talked about dilation. Uh And so what exactly is that? So essentially about five days after surgery, uh, you have to start dilating um, because the uh, constructed canal, shall we say, it will try to heal over. 
So what you have to do is use a glass uh, object. And at least for the first couple weeks, it's four times a day for a half hour a piece to make sure that it stays open so that it doesn't heal over everything, including your urethra, because if it does, it's not fixable. So it, it, you go through everything to have uh, your body match up with the rest of you, and you, it's just part of what you have to do to take care of it. That's also what helps make, make it, quote-unquote, functional. Okay. As I say, so, I mean, I know this isn't the greatest analogy, but kind of like when you get earrings and you have to twist them and clean them and just make sure that it heals properly. Mm -hmm. And also, if you take the earring out too soon, it will heal over. Exactly. Um, and then, and where did you go for your surgery, if I may ask? I went to the Mayo Clinic. Um, I was fortunate enough to get in contact with another woman who had her surgery there uh, last July. And she set me up with the contact information. And for, for most people who try to do this, they either have to go outside the country or they have to travel a lot. Um, and there's also a lot of wait lists. Like when I went to university in Philadelphia and most of the wait lists in Philadelphia were three to five years. And my first consultation was in July of last year and I got the surgery last month. So that is unheard of. Yeah, that's really fast. Do you think that the the Mayo's going to fill up pretty quick? Um, I don't know. Um, they 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 do one a week, from what I understand. So it it was actually kind of funny when I was in there uh, for the, the at the actual consultation with the surgeon because he was like, "Well, you know, it, it's not going to be as quick as it you as it has been in the past because we've." You know, got, we've gotten so many new customers. And I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be a several-year wait. And they're like, oh, it'll be about four to five months. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, I think I can handle that. Well, I was going to say, I mean, they're they're pretty popular hospitals. So I'm guessing sometimes they're like, okay, we got to get going. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, like it's, it's like its own little city. And it's, it's an intimidating place if you've never been there. I, I actually lived in Rochester for a little bit. And it's, I mean, no offense to anybody listening from Rochester. It's just not not my city. I like Minneapolis better. <laughs> well, and Rochester's intimidating. I mean, not, the Mayo's intimidating. Even I've toured there a number of times and for, for, for both professional and for just, you know, curiosity and, and meeting people. And, yeah, it's still intimidating. It's just so big. It has a really long history, too. Mm -hmm. I was, I actually scheduled a, when I was in middle school, I went to a really cool middle school, and I actually scheduled a tour there. And apparently we split up into two groups, and I got to go to the historical group. And so I got to, like, they talked about, like, the Mayo brothers and who they were, and it was – anyways, off topic. <laughs> no, I, I, find, I find it interesting how you asked about the earrings, if that was actually a good analogy. And I'm happy to hear, Marissa, you say yes, because this is the analogy I've been using with coworkers who are asking me because we're all in the medical field, and they're, like, curious about me as a person but also just, like – medically curious because that's what we're into is medical stuff because that's why we're in the field and that's the it's basically like yeah it's like gauging up your earrings <laughs> you know just a bit more sensitive pretty much and once again i i know people are curious and the the difference is not asking a complete stranger 
the first time you meet them, the first thing you ask is about their genitals. That's when it's inappropriate. But I try to put a lot of information out there so that people in that situation don't have to be the one that answer all of the trans curiosities that happen. It's, a, it's just a matter of being polite and... You know, people like us put ourselves out there to answer questions so that others don't have to. And the more people who do that, the less inappropriate questions we hopefully get. So one of the things that you talk a lot about in this book is the different changes that you've gone through um, with your with your transition. And one I have to ask is when you first got the name Marissa, mm -hmm. it was to help a friend with a, a jealous boyfriend. Can you tell us that story? So... This, this friend had an ex-boyfriend who just wouldn't take no for an answer, and fortunately that doesn't have any modern relevance whatsoever, but um, telling, telling the guy that she had a boyfriend didn't work, and she just kind of looked at me at the time. I was 18 years old, a buck 30, soaking wet, and had really long hair, and she's like, would you pretend to be my girlfriend, Marissa? And I was like... Yeah. So we went out, got dressed up, you know, bought clothes, everything, and we went on a date because the guy wanted to meet her and did, and everything just kind of clicked in my head. And the, gr the girl I was actually dating at the time had the last name McCool, so I called this myself Marissa McCool, and it just stuck. I mean, this was 2003, so I didn't even know what the word trans was yet, but... At the same time, everything just kind of worked and felt right, and it's I obviously ended up pursuing it. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I always I actually did wonder about where the McCool came from because I'm like that is the I, I mean I love my last name Hertz, but that is like an amazing last name. <laughs> yeah, it, it it was legit uh, my girlfriend's last name at the time, and we're still friends. And yeah, that was the same reaction I had when I met her. It's like, that is the best last name ever. And she was married for a while and had to change it to Irwin. And I'm like, no, oh, no. no. <laughs> That's a last name you keep or at least hyphenate. <laughs> oh, yeah. But when I, did, when I did that married thing and it was like, so are you going to change your name? No. No. Otherwise, Hertzy doesn't make sense anymore. <laughs> when I was, when I first, you know, came in contact with you, it was like, McCool, McCool. Where have I heard that name before? I was like, she has a wrestling background. Is she related to The Undertaker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Undertaker's wife is named Michelle McCool. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh my gosh. And then I had like, you're like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, as a wrestling writer, I got that question a lot when I came out. So <laughs> I was going to say, so, so, cause, and also we know that def you may not want that after the, uh, after the Undertaker was in The Encounter. Hmm. <laughs> that was not The Undertaker, though. That was, that was, it? That was Sting. But wasn't The Undertaker DeVille? No, no. Was it was a joke that I made, oh. and because uh, uh, Noah and Eli are not wrestling fans, they thought I was serious. Okay, okay. And there's my my weekly thing with game. I talk about that show too often. There's no such thing no, as talking yeah. about that show too often. I, I talk about that show on my YouTube channel. <laughs> Gam on and on. Oh, well, what? that we're going to take a short break please stay with us and we'll return with maddie love and marissa alexa mccool mm -hmm. 
Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk, and I'm your host, Hertzy Hertz, and I'm in studio with Maddie Love and special guest Marissa Alexa McCool. Atheist Talk is produced with funding from Minnesota Atheists, Cucumbers Restaurant, and Edina. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know that you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you'd like to advertise on the program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. As for the here and now, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Maddie and Marissa this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at nmanatheist.org, or tweet us at at Atheist Talk, or you can also use our Facebook page. And we're back, and I have to have a question. Ah, <laughs> No, um, we were talking around the, um, during the break, so one of the things you talk about in the book is the stages of accept, accepting yourself as trans. Can you go through those? Sure. There's, it's it's almost a cliche at this point, but it's, it's very real. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, it is very difficult to be trans in this country in time, uh, much less difficult than it used to be. But at the same time, it's, you, you know, for, for how long we were either a punchline or, or a serial killer in pretty much all representation. So there's a lot of lot to go through. You know, it's like, well, I like dressing in clothes, but I don't think I'm trans. Okay, maybe I'm trans, but I don't think I'm ever going to go on hormones. Okay, I'll go on hormones, but I'm never going to, uh, you know, uh, change my name or pronouns. Okay, I changed my name and pronouns, but I'm never going to get the surgery. Uh, okay, I guess I'll get the surgery. Like, it's just the, you, you kind of accept it in stages because it's not only very difficult to go through those stages uh, culturally, socially, but it's not exactly the most accessible medical care out there. And I was just fortunate enough to go to a school that had trans-inclusive health care. And then I was lucky enough to find a hospital that didn't make me wait for several years. And even then, uh, you can't even discuss uh, having the surgery unless you've been on hormones for a year and been socially out for a year. And that's better than it used to be where you had to be live as yourself for two years without hormones before you could even get them. But still, um, it's there. there is a waiting process. And, um, you know, if I had had to wait three to five years, that would have been a lot more difficult. And one of the things you talk about as well is that some people opt not to have the surgery. Can you touch on that? It's... A very invasive surgery, and it's a long recovery process. I'm still there. I'm still recovering from it. But there's also people who don't want to go through that, and there's people who are unable to go through that, whether that be for medical reasons or financial reasons or just not having a place where they can. And some people just don't want to, and that's perfectly valid. Um, there's a model I know who I've interviewed on my show named Amanda who's just like, no, oh, I, I like what I have. It's fine. And that's perfectly valid. You know, there's the old phrase, a pre-op, to describe a trans woman. Um, those women are more described as non-op. Uh, because they have no intention of getting the surgery, and they don't have to, because there are those of us who want to get it uh, to feel more in line with ourselves, and others who are just like, yeah, some girls have this, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So it it takes all kinds, and I ha I obviously support women who can't or don't have surgery, because they don't have to, to be who they are. 
Yeah, they don't have to take hormones to be who they are. They don't have to, you don't have to dress a certain way to be. And that's, you know, trans men, trans women, NBs. Like, I, I yeah. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy to hear you say that. Not that you haven't said that a thousand million times before. But I think every single time it's just that, ah, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's maybe that one person who was like, oh, I didn't know that. It's like, oh, good. That this was worth it then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just just being a trans activist alone, there's plenty of crap that you have to deal with and the cavalcade of ugliness, um, even from just speaking to Minnesota atheists. We know how that went. Uh, we had the disabled comments. But um, overall, it, it, the people I reach are worth the crap that I have to deal with because, once again, it means that a young egg... Uh, egg is what we call a trans person who's just coming out uh, so that they don't have to deal with it because they shouldn't have to because trans people are not obligated to be a 24-7 education on-demand center and we're often treated that way. It's like anybody who the first thing they realize is that you're trans all of a sudden you have to answer all of their questions and it, a lot of uh, marginalized groups have to deal with that um, especially people of color and it's just uh, you know we are not, we should try to educate as many people as possible, but we're not obligated to. There, there's a part of my brain that's going, we should make some FAQ sites and just so that you just hand a QR code and go, here you go. <laughs> Read this, this and then we can talk. <laughs> we actually have a question from a listener in Chicago. Oh. It's a mutual friend, Ingrid Stone. She asks, how have the changes in your outlook moved you within the atheist community? Um, I don't know. Uh, there's still a contingent of the atheist community that is practically indistinguishable from, say, the alt-right and others who are not accepting of LGBTQ people or just trans people. And that's just true of any population, especially one that's this big. But kind of like how the activism comes with a certain degree of ugliness, uh, the people I've met because of the atheist community and the work I've gotten to do and the friends that I've made are far, far more important to me than the detractors. I mean, yes, there are some people I've had to cut out. There are some people I don't listen to anymore. But at the same time, uh, I know the two of you because of what I do. I know Devin, my partner, because of what I do. And I wouldn't trade that even if it meant I had to go through the ugliness again. And if you join any atheist group as a trans person, pretty much, uh, you're more than likely going to experience transphobia within 24 hours. Because there are some people who think that if you spend your whole life in the church uh, in taking in all those ideas and harmful uh, opinions and perspectives, and then you just come out as atheists. It's like, oh, well, I guess I don't have any of that influence anymore. So you don't let that go, and you're, you never have to put any pressure on yourself to overcome a lot of your biases outside of believing in God, and it just doesn't work that way. So there are a lot of people who join the atheist community, but don't uh, curtail any of their more harmful opinions and perspectives, and they'll spout logic and reason at you instead of you're going to hell, but it's the same argument. And you, you get in that space where you're just like, you should know better. It's a shame you don't. Okay, so. Leaving the church, I really feel like you need to reevaluate. If you were in the church a long time, you need to reevaluate where you came to some of the beliefs that you have. Like, what are they actually based on? Because like, when talking about how like how doctors are so backed up, a lot of that comes from the fact that 
there's a lot of doctors don't get into it. There's a lot of insurance companies that for a long time didn't insure it. It was a very taboo thing. And that's a religious thing. Like that ties back into what religious norms are. So it's, it's, it's pervasive. <laughs> Which is why we should all be terrified that Catholics are buying up all the hospitals because yeah. then they can deny procedures to whoever they want for those reasons. Yes, I, I, yeah, as a person who grew up Catholic, yes, I am terrified. But we will return with Maddie and Marissa right after the break. Please stay with us. I'm Hertzie Hertz, and you're listening to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz, and we are having what I would classify as a wonderful conversation with Maddie Love and Marissa Alexa McCool. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Maddie and Marissa this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheists.org, or tweet us at at Atheist Talk, or check out our Facebook page. Before we continue this conversation, there's a bit of housekeeping I need to attend to. I want to note our group of dedicated volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners. You help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. I'd also like to note our donors of the week, which is Jim, Nancy, George, and the rest of the fifth Sunday Flying Spaghetti Monster Dinner attendees. If you're able to help with the donation, please consider... Excuse me, please consider doing so at our Radio Fund page or at our Patreon, where you can get extended interviews at patreon.com slash atheisttalk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. We couldn't do this show without you, and we deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Brent Michael Davis and is used with permission. Please note all opinions are of the guests and hosts only and do not necessarily reflect those of the Minnesota Atheist Organization. And now let's get back to our conversation with Maddie and Marissa. Marissa, so in the book you also talk about your family and and going through this um, the hospital experience and you also have two kids. Yes, uh, two kids, 10 and 11. Awesome. How were they at the hospital? Uh, bored, mm. which is to be expected. Um, they're attached to their technology, and that's pretty much it. But at the same time, it kept them quiet when they came to visit in the hospital, at least. It's, so little known, but my sister was in the hospital a few times when I was a kid. I wish I had the technology we have today. Yeah, one of the perks of going to the Mayo Clinic is that they do have a patient library in the recovery building. So the kids were able to take out books, board games, video game. Well, there, there was one video game console, and of course it was taken out. But oh, the yeah. point is it's there. That is really nice. Yeah, um, I, it was definitely top-notch care. I only had a few hiccups the entire time. Oh, that is great. And then, and they provided for both Aiden and Devin while they were there, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, they they brought in a cot, and they put it right next to my hospital bed so that they could s- sleep next to me. Uh, Devin stayed with me most of the time. Uh, they, then they stayed with the kids in the hotel while Aiden spent a night with me because being away from my husband was incredibly difficult. Uh, we're we've been together four and a half years, and we're still attached like it's the two week anniversary. So um, we 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 give people diabetes. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm just you talking about it. I'm getting cavities. So. <laughs> um, one of the things you also talk about as far as your transition goes was um, looking at the clothing that you liked to wear. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. There's, there's a process a lot of us have to go through, and it's the difference between what we actually want and what we actually like 
and what we think we're expected to wear. And I'm, I'm sure everybody goes through this at some point. But there's a lot of pressure when you first come out to be as super feminine as possible and to, 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 to the point of overcompensation. And then once you get through that phase, you start to actually figure out what you like and what you want to wear. Because unless you came out very young, uh, you probably didn't pay attention to the other um, – well, I know there's more than one, but – for the sake of uh, clarity, to the other uh, end of the dressing spectrum. So you, d you don't know what kind of things you have to wear. You don't know what goes with what, and you don't know how they fit. It's You have to learn all new sizes. You have to learn what kind of shoes to wear. Like It's, it, it, it's a re-education. And those sizes are really messed up. <laughs> So uh, there were a lot of like super feminine dresses that I wore in my first few months of being publicly out. And... Then I started to actually ask what I did like and the style. I, I sort of developed my own style because I didn't have anybody to, like, teach me what, what styles were. And now I would consider my style to be part bohemian and part just loud and bold. I have a lot of uh, very loud uh, pants, especially, and I like bell bottoms. And this dress I'm wearing right now is tie-dye bohemian. Uh, so that's where I tend to hang out. I, I also have a – what I wore to the conference in California, for instance, was just a pure rainbow hologram dress. <laughs> so. All right. And so um, I guess we should actually – is it all right we talk about the surgery itself? Yeah. If you want to just talk about going through it, I guess. Well, uh, the surgery itself, I was kind of unconscious for it. Well, but... <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I, was, I hope you were. <laughs> it, it was about a five-hour surgery and um, – with the exception of the anesthesiologist that somehow misgendered me two minutes before my vaginoplasty, I was treated very well, um, which it was weird to me considering you don't get randomly assigned to a surgery, you know what it's going to be. Uh, but, you know, I got, I remember being uh, taken onto the operating table, which was a surprise to me, and I've never been through surgery, so I had no basis of comparison, but I had to, you know, grab the bar and let them carry me over into the table, and that's the last thing I remember. I don't remember any cliches like count backwards from 100 or anything. The one time I've even been on anesthesia, uh, it was my wisdom teeth surgery, and they ended up letting me sleep extra, and then eventually got me into my parents' minivan, and I woke up at home. But, that, that sounds similar to my wisdom teeth coming out. <laughs> right. So they ended up letting me sleep extra after this one, too. So it was kind of like I, I got moved to the operating table, and then all of a sudden I was in this really dark room, and I was still in some kind of hazy dream, and I thought these bright numbers I was seeing were podcast ratings. <laughs> so I was like on some kind of podcast rating game show. <laughs> And I can even recall telling the nurse once I came, you know, more conscious. It was like, I'm a podcaster and I thought that was like I was in a cold dream, whatever. So uh, it was it, it was interesting. Uh, the, the biggest difficulty I had was that I felt like I had to pee worse than any time in my life. But I not only had a, a bolster and dressing sewn into my area. Uh, but I had a catheter in as well. And, you know, I'm sitting there in the bed like, just put me over the toilet. It's fine. And they're like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> um, but they ended up having to give me uh, medicine for bladder spasms because I was just in so much pain. Uh, despite the fact that I had a catheter in, I just had this overwhelming need to pee. 
Um, and then I was going to say, you, you already went through the, the fun bits of it where you start, where you have the hazy stories. Um, did he, did he say anything else that was kind of funny? Um, besides the fact that I kept apparently trying to pull out my catheter to go to the bathroom. No, <laughs> uh, I, uh, the, the the nursing staff actually complimented me on how well I handled everything, and I was terrified of being a pain, so the fact that it was the opposite was quite a compliment. Nice. I'm, I'm actually slightly out of questions. What? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I told you I was woke up at 3.30 in the morning by a kitten. <laughs> by a kitten? And a nightmare. And a nightmare. And a nightmare. Not about podcasting. No, about the nun. The nun. Yeah. And not the nuns. No, not the nuns. Or the nuns. No, it's the I think it's the conjuring series or something. Yeah. yeah. Fun fact, I don't watch horror stuff for the same I reason. I know. Well yeah, I know. I actually had a, I was gonna ask you about this later on, Marissa, like off air, but um your podcasts tend to have skits in them. Mm-hmm. Will we be hearing a skit about a podcasting game show? Because <laughs> I yeah. want to hear a skit about a podcasting game show. Uh, that, that's an interesting idea. I didn't even think of that. I'll have to work with Ari on that because uh, <laughs> Ari and I are finally coming back Yay! together. So. This is one of the few times where I will totally peer pressure somebody do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because we will be the beneficiaries of this. I will definitely uh, use my creativity to the best of my ability. Excellent. I mean, not like trying to get you to, because you said that wasn't a traumatic experience, so I, we wouldn't be asking you to like no, a relive no. a trauma. Uh, Just relive a lucid uh, <laughs> drug-induced dream. The only traumatic experience was when the all the stuff came out. Mm. <laughs> so Understandable. Um the, the, like I said, the dressing and the bolster were actually sewn onto me. Uh, so, you know, going through and cutting those, that was painful. Uh, pulling out the drain for the wound, that was even more painful. And then uh, snipping out the bolster, which was inside of me. Uh, I was screaming loud enough that the nurse's station could hear me. And, of course, pulling out the catheter. And pulling out a catheter is hard enough without it being a five-day-old vagina. <laughs> We talked before uh, before we started broadcasting. I don't know if you mentioned it on air. What's a bolster? A bolster is what they put inside of the vaginal canal uh, after surgery because, like the analogy with the earring, uh, you have to keep something inside of it or it will heal over. And essentially they just put a condom with gauze inside of it, inside of you, and then sew it in with the dressing uh, to keep it from healing shut. Uh, Because presumably, if you go through this surgery, you want to actually be able to use your vagina for all its potential functions, and that's part of the necessary process. Yeah, because if you didn't, there's other procedures that that you can do that that wouldn't. But I don't Uh, know that anybody... Yeah. I'm trying to think if I know anybody who has has had an alternate uh, (laughs) surgery, but outside of an orky... Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much the other option. Or uh, my friend Trinity right now is about to get her surgery there, and she can't have a vaginal canal because of her mm. uh, medical issues. But um, it, it is what it is, and it's it's definitely an interesting process. Um, so we're going to be a tiny bit political here. Um, in here, you talk about the the race to the vagina was a race against Trump. <laughs> Do you care to expand on that at all? 
mostly because uh, since he took office, there have just been the systematic removal of our rights and protections. And that obviously isn't limited to LGBT people, but trans people have been a specific focus to get the evangelical base fired up. And it, it was, you know, it, when I was getting this, the consultation, that was when uh, they made the group to protect people in the medical profession from being able to discriminate against us because Jesus or whatever. And my prediction was that they were either going to try to ban health insurance from covering us or ban the procedures altogether or find some way to make the process inaccessible. So my urgency to get the procedure done, I called it the race to the vagina against Trump. And because he hasn't gotten that far yet, I won. <laughs> yes, and you, you have a special name for this, right? Your, uh, your vagina specifically. Yes. Oh, be joyful. <laughs> It's uh, named after a drink in in the Civil War, but I just that name just sounded perfect for uh, acquiring uh, what I have always wanted. In fact, the subtitle of this book I don't have a, a first title yet is going to be called "How I Got My Vagina Thirty Three Years Late." <laughs> yes, and it you call it your science vagina. Yes, the science vagina. Uh, Callie came up with that term, so I can't take credit for it. Yeah, but still, it's a good term. Absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. Um, and uh, we only have a minute, so I guess we'll start this and finish it. Um, you also talk about how the, how the community came together. Yes. Uh, uh, you two started the fundraiser, which definitely got us through a tough time, especially involving uh, me filing my unemployment discrimination forms. And I'll get into more of that, uh, I guess, on the extra podcast. No, we actually have one more. Uh, yes, because... Um, We'll talk about that in a minute. But yes, we do have one more segment, and then we can go into the Patreon after that. Okay. So thank you for joining us, and we will see you on the other side of the break. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pardon me, Maddie just said something funny. <laughs> All right, but welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz, in studio talking with Maddie Love and our wonderful guest, Marissa Alexa McCool. And this will be our final segment with Maddie and Marissa. If you're curious about Minnesota Atheists, you can check out Minnesota the Atheist website. We have previews, previous episodes. You can browse articles, book reviews, and peruse the calendar of upcoming events. For example, today we have brunch at cucumbers. Nummy. You can also sign up for the Atheist Weekly email, which will give you links to upcoming events. We always have a ton of activities going on. If you enjoy the show and all Minnesota Atheists has to offer, consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheists while you're on the website. Membership has some great perks. Check out the hows and whys on the website. And now back to our conversation with Maddie and Marissa. So Marissa, before we went to the break, we started talking about the community. And I've what I was going to say, you didn't have to say who did the thing, <laughs> the fundraiser. Oh, well, I felt like it because I felt like giving it uh, credit where it was due, especially because I was going through an unemployment appeal because I was being uh, constantly and willfully misgendered at my job, and that is illegal in this state. Uh, but it was a very long appeal that. process. So, and you know, and then it was also impossible to get a job for a month and then be like, yeah, I need four to six weeks off. Uh, so, um, not only that, but uh, my partner Devin's best friend, Rich, put together a nearly one-hour 
show of people just saying nice things about me and uh, for the show Living After Faith. And that still blows me away that so many people were willing to say kind things. And especially in the days leading up, I needed that. I was kind of bummed out that you didn't listen to it post-op because I really wanted you to like be laughing. <laughs> did you did you fill your, yours with puns? Yes. <laughs> uh, pun, by, bad jokes by that I took off a My Little Pony message board. <laughs> well, uh, awesome. Aiden actually got a picture. I, I don't remember which one it was, but I actually put my head against the wall and he snapped a picture of my reaction. <laughs> I think I remember that. Um, you know, I, I want to take a moment. Oh, please. We, we I had a listener email me mm-hmm. who is asking why we would talk about this on Atheist's Talk. And I'm not going to respond to the listener like on the email. But my thought is everything that you had to go through has its base in religious oppression. Every Everything we deal with in society, all the taboos that, that we feel like breaking, they're all based in expletive deleted religious oppression it's like your journey the story your struggles everything it's all because of religion Mm -hmm. and that's why like personally that's why it's important for people like like myself and people like you especially like you because you're such a great communicator to tell your story and to tell how this is how religious oppression has affected somebody personally yeah. Uh, just look at all the RIFRA laws being passed. Look at all the, um, you know, the fact that they're they're making religious exceptions to treating us in medical care. Just look up the stories of people who had EMTs come to them or police officers who refused to help them because they'd rather let us die than actually give us medical care. Look up in Jacksonville how there's a friggin' serial killer who is targeting black trans women. Uh, if, if We can all just sit here all day and laugh at how silly it is to believe in God and how much religion is funny, but if we don't have a personal experience that isn't the perceived universal perspective of the straight white man, we're not doing our job because it is not just people who don't believe in God that are affected by this, and it's not just people who don't believe in God who are experiencing religious oppression. And if you if you don't think we're not experiencing religious oppression, then um, you're probably participating in it, even if you're not religious yourself. Uh, there are plenty of people who are non-white men in the atheist community who are drowned out, not heard, and subject to harassment for daring to suggest that maybe our experience isn't the same as everybody else's. So I talk about this in an atheist forum because there's not literature on it, and there's not a lot of people who go out of their way to talk about it. But I am an atheist, and this is my story. If I'm not making sure that I don't believe in God enough to communicate just how much Rifra and, you know, an evangelical group controlling all the laws in the country, how they are affecting me as a trans person, it's not very hard to find. It is in their agenda to make sure that we are suppressed as much as possible. Uh, we are discriminated against from a medical basis. We are discriminated, able to be discriminated against in most states uh, when it comes to housing, when it comes to employment, when it comes to anything. The religious majority make it as impossible as they possibly can for us to just live like 
any other person. So if I'm not just making fun of religion enough, if my personal story isn't attached to how silly it is to believe in God enough, then I'm, I don't know what to say about it. But uh, we can talk about other things that atheists experience other than just how silly some of the... We, we can talk about how silly Noah's Ark is or whatever, but that's tired and played out. The, these are real people, and there are plenty like me who are experiencing this right now and aren't fortunate enough to have a platform. So there are other issues besides making fun of religion. Amen. And yes. Because that, that, I mean, that, that more than sums up like how I feel. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just add the, my own note of you're an atheist and you're talking. Yes. Yeah. That, that is literally the title of the show. <laughs> yeah. Atheists talk. I mean, we have a broad, we, we all have lives. And I don't just talk about atheism, but I live in a world full of a religious majority. And like you said, it, the religious majority, the religious oppression, it impacts all of our lives. Yeah, we, we can all sit here and congratulate each other on being smarter than everybody else for getting the God question right, but that gets boring after a while. And that's the easy so question. Boring. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, could, I think I could do that for maybe five minutes, and then I'd get distracted by a shiny object and be like, can we talk about something else, anything? You wonder why the societal perspective of atheists is that they're smug and rude? That's why, because it would be easy to go out and just make fun of people for silly beliefs, but that doesn't endear anyone to us. We're asking people to leave their communities and leave what they've grown up with. And if we do that just by being rude and sardonic in places that are inappropriate, that's not going to endear anybody to our cause, and it makes us look terrible. Well, and if we're asking people to leave their community, we would it would be benefit to the atheism movement to maybe have a community for them to come to. Mm -hmm. uh, Noah allusions on one of the, I forget which episode of Gamcast, because, hey, I love the Gam. Oh, it was a God Friend in Me episode. He had a great, a great, like, whatever you call it, rant about how he's helped create a community and, like, how many lives he's touched. And anyway, I'll let you finish up. Well, I was going to say, and if you would like to, and if you're interested in helping us make that community in Minnesota, you can join us at minnesotaatheists.org, where you can sign up to be a member. And uh, like I said, help us drive this community so that we can make it a home for everyone. Thank you, Maddie and Marissa, for joining me. And thank you all. We'll see you next week. <laughs>